Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody here in person. Glad to have you joining with us there uh, online. Whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, be sure to heart, to like, to share, to follow us there. Uh, and um, all of those different things that you can do there. That just helps with those algorithms, getting the word uh, out there. It gets it before more people. Share it with your friends. Uh, and I want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. If you need the phone number for that, please call the church office. We'll be glad to give that uh, to you so that you can uh, be able to listen in on there. If you have access to the church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's there that you can download the worship bulletin for this week, as well as the children's worship bulletins. If you need these, they're around in every place you can see around the, the windows, as well as uh, in the at the foyers as you leave the building, so be sure to get one of those. And then the prayer list is out here on the table in the, in the holders, uh, so be sure to get one of those if you've not gotten one of those, and you can download that also under that info tab. And then don't forget while you're there on the website, you can your online giving there. Uh, go to the far right hand side, click the Give Online tab there, and uh, you can easily set that up as a one-time gift, recurring gift, however you need uh, to do that. And then also because we don't have these in the pews in front of you here in person, they are in the windowsills, so be sure to pick up those or they're on the tables uh, as you leave uh, too, so that you can be able to put those in the offering plate. So I think that's everything I needed to mention. Brother Mike, if you'll come. going to sing one tonight that was written in 1899 so there's no excuse for you not knowing it but it's a good uh, prayer and fellowship song uh, and uh, Isaiah 41 speaks of the Lord and that him taking our right hand so let's sing 456 precious Lord take my hand Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. My way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near when my life is almost gone. Hear my cry, hear my call, hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord. That song's almost like you're expecting more verses to be there. You can put me back just a little bit, uh, Andrew, because I'm a little bit hot there. Not hot this way, but <laughs> hot with the mic. Of course, I am hot that way, too. <laughs> I'm burning up. Well, take your Bibles tonight. As you know, on uh, Sunday nights through the summer uh, here, through at least the month of July, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms, at several Psalms that I've never preached through, uh, and just asking the Lord to speak to us through the life, uh, through life in the Psalms, and how we ought to let the Psalms guide uh, our lives. And so the night, tonight's message is entitled, Help 
in our grief. And I dare say most of us who are here tonight, there's probably not a person that's here tonight that's not experienced grief in some way, some shape, some form. And David is going through a lot of grief, an extreme amount of grief in chapter 6 that we're going to see. And he gives us some things that we can take and apply to our lives. So we're going to read verses 1 through verse 3 of Psalms chapter 6. So if you would, stand carefully, especially if you're in a pew. And we're going to read verse 1 down through verse 3. So we'll read actually the superscription uh, there also. That's that part that gives us some instructions about the psalm first. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just simply read through the Psalms many times, wow, the words leap off the page because they resonate with our hearts. They resonate with the experiences that we've gone through in our lives and things that we know that are awaiting for us in the future. Father, I pray that whether it's something we've gone through in the past or whether it's something in the future or something we're going through right now that is causing us grief, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to us through the truth of your word. As, as David himself asked this question, we ask the same question, how long, O Lord? And Father, I pray that as we go through this passage tonight, may there be some things out of this that will come alive to us, that will be powerful to us, that will help us as we face grief, as we have gone through grief, uh, as we have grief coming in the future. And so, Father, I pray that you'll re recall, help us to recall this passage in Psalm chapter 6 to our hearts and our minds, to be a lamp unto our feet, to be a light unto our path, to guide us, Lord, uh, through those dark days. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. In the 1960s, some of you remember that, <laughs> there was a man by the name of Jimmy Ruffin who wrote a song uh, that was really a lament over losing the love of his life. The title of the song was, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted? You remember that song from the 60s? Bill Crowder, in his book, Singing the Songs of the Brokenhearted, wrote this. He said, what becomes of the brokenhearted? It's a question that bears the heart cry of every person who has experienced loss, loneliness, rejection, shame, abandonment, or a score of other brutal life experiences. And here's the truth. The longer you live, the more disappointment, the more pain, the more sorrow you'll experience, just simply because we live in a fallen, sinful world. Our disappointments and our sorrows are sometimes the results of our own sins. We know that is the consequences of choices that we made ourselves. But other times, it's just the result of living in the sinful world. You know, people let us down. People disappoint us. 
They reject us. They turn against us. Crowder also wrote this, Bill Crowder did. He said, the heartache of hurting people is a universal reality that calls us to cry out to God and to seek relief and help and hope in Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27, uh, Moses had reminded the people that, it, that God is always there to provide help uh, for His people. Uh, it says this in Psalm 33 verse 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath you, underneath the, the grief that you are experiencing are God's everlasting arms. He holds you in His hands. Psalm 6 is a personal lament by David who feels troubled by his enemies. And this opposition has made him feel that God has sent him, uh, sent these enemies to punish him uh, for some sin he's committed, even though he doesn't mention any sin, particularly in this prayer. Now, let's look first at the superscription as we get into this psalm, and those are important as we look at that too. Uh, it doesn't have sometimes some... Uh, equating of, of that to us, but we need to understand the setting uh, of these psalms. And so uh, as you look at the superscription here, uh, we find that uh, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. So Psalm 6 is this personal uh, psalm, uh, this personal lament. The superscription tells us there that David wrote this psalm. It is a psalm of David, but we aren't sure when he wrote it. Uh, it could have been written during the time of Absalom's rebellion that we saw in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. Psalms is not written that way. Psalms isn't written like a, a story to go from one chapter to the next chapter to the next chapter. Each chapter is its own psalm. It's its own song. It's just like in our hymn books. Each page, each numbered uh, song there is a different song. It has a different message. Uh, you know, as, as Brother Mike is picking out congregational songs for us, he tries to pick those that the Lord leads him to uh, that, that try to deal with the message uh, that we uh, are, are preaching on and, so, and, and that you're going to hear about. And, and so uh, that's sort of the way it is here with David. As he's going through life experiences, he's writing these psalms that are songs that the people of Israel are going to sing themselves. Well, it could have been during that time of Absalom's rebellion, when David was old and sick and unable to handle all the complex responsibilities of the kingdom, uh, David's gradual failure uh, as a visible leader was one of Absalom's selling points as he began to steal the hearts of the Israelites. Uh, that's what he would tell people, uh, and people began to listen to him. You know, David, he's, he's old. We need a new guy here, and I'm here to, to, to lead you guys if you'll make me uh, your king. And they began to listen to him, and they began to follow uh, Absalom. But the psalm, it could have been written at any other time during David's reign when he was ill, when he was being attacked by his enemies. That wasn't the only time uh, that he faced something like that. But he describes his trouble here of enemies who are without, enemies who are on the outside, who are bringing pressure on him from the outside, and fears that are in his heart that are literally ripping him apart and causing him to lose a lot of sleep. It's causing him a lot of stress physically. And so he has enemies on the outside, fears with on the inside, and through the midst of that, he cries out to God for mercy. He was sure, as we're going to see in verse 5, that he was facing death. 
which indicates that his experience was real and that he wasn't using uh, sickness and war only as metaphors uh, of his trouble, uh, of his personal troubles. Again, this psalm was to be played on stringed instruments just like the last song. Uh, some versions, some versions of the Bibles uh, will say neganoth. That's what it means, stringed instruments. Uh, the word shemineth there means eighth. Now, we don't understand exactly what that may refer to, but it could refer to uh, the familiar melody. Uh, it could refer to uh, a lower octave uh, for the men's voices or the number of strings on the instruments. Uh, to be played, but it was a, a superscription there to know this is to be played on stringed instruments at, at, to the Shemineth, a psalm uh, of David, which could have been a song, uh, a tune. So it's just like in our hymn books, a lot of times you'll see a person wrote the words to the song, somebody else came along and wrote the music to the song. And that's kind of what we're seeing there in that superscription, the combining of the two. And so you find that word shemineth also in the title of Psalm 12. Now Psalm 6 is the first of what we call or refer to as the penitential psalms. It's the psalms where he, he's repentant in his heart. He's, he's praying uh, extremely uh, hard in, his, in, his, in the psalm. Uh, it's where the writers in these psalms are being disciplined by God and they're experiencing suffering and they're crying out to God out of that suffering. Some of the other psalms that are penitential psalms are Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, uh, which is David's repentance psalm, uh, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. And all of those psalms are helpful to us when we need to confess our sins and draw closer to the Lord. And so that's kind of the theme of those songs. So those are some psalms that you can turn to when there are uh, times in your life that you realize you have sin and that you need to draw closer to the Lord. Those speak to that kind of uh, subject matter. In this psalm, David is overwhelmed in his grief. And he shows us that there is help in our grief. And so he records for us these stages in his difficult experience of moving by faith from trials to triumph. And so the first thing I want you to see tonight from this psalm comes in verse 1 through verse 3 that we read a moment ago, and that's the pain of discipline. The pain of discipline. Now, for some of us, it's a long time ago when our mama or our daddy gave us a whipping. And you remember the pain of the discipline. Or maybe they put you in time out, or they took things from you, or they grounded you. Those things caused pain. We're talking about a more extreme pain here uh, that David is going through. Eight times in this psalm, David addresses God as Lord Jehovah, which is the covenant name uh, of God. When God deals with his children, usually he first rebukes them and then disciplines them, just like a parent uh, would themselves. You, you warn your, your, your disobedient children, and then if they continue, then you discipline them. Uh, and so, uh, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 13, discipline is not punishment that's given out by some irate judge uh, who, uh, but, uh, who, who doesn't have any skin in the game, if you will. Uh, but discipline is given by a loving father to help his children to mature. So when you're going through times of discipline 
and that may be causing pain in your life, understand this, God is disciplining you not because he hates you, not because he doesn't like you, it's because he loves you. And he's giving you the best example of what a father ought to be to his children. And so sometimes God punishes us in order to deal with our disobedience, but at other times he punishes us to prepare us for what lies ahead. It's like the training of an athlete for a race. Now David, he thinks that God is angry with him, but that really wasn't necessarily true as we're going to see here. Uh, however, when you consider that he's surrounded by his foes that he refers to in verse 7, the evildoers in verse 8, and the enemies in verse 10, and then when he says that his body is, is a wreck, it's weak, he's in pain, his soul is troubled, you can begin to see why David feels like he's got a big fat target on his back. Why do these things keep happening to me? So his punishment was personal. But David doesn't resist God's rebuke. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, I, I don't deserve this, Lord. It is, I didn't do anything wrong. You don't see him uh, trying to excuse things that he did. He knows that God is doing this for whatever purpose, for whatever reason. For some sin in his life, which he doesn't mention, or to build character and to train him for things that were yet to come uh, in his life. And so he, he, he just doesn't want to be rebuked in anger. So he wants God's rebuke to change his character rather than to just be punishment for his sin. So he desires God's mercy for his sin instead of his judgment. And so the first step to receive God's mercy is for us to acknowledge that you've sinned, that you've broken God's law, that you deserve to be punished. You know, all too often when we got caught in trouble, in times of trouble with our parents, what did we do? We tried to make some excuse for why we did what we did. We tried to wiggle our way out of what we had done, and we knew it was wrong. The Bible says here that you can't do that with God. God already knows, and God knows your sin, and your sin will find you out. And so we need to make sure that we come to that place, that we admit that God's law is right, and I am wrong. So I'd encourage you to think about in your own life as you've gone through maybe times of discipline, times of pain that, are, that is bringing grief into your heart and into your life, is it because of something that you've done in your life? You ought to ask the Lord, Lord, show me if there's any sin in my life that I need to repent of. More than likely, if it's because of some sin in your life, you're going to know it. You're just going to try to justify why you did what you do. Oh, it wasn't that bad, Lord. Or everybody was doing it. Or, or I, I should be able to respond that way to other people. No, what we need to do is do something that many of us have a hard time doing, saying, I was wrong. How often have you ever said that in your life? I was wrong. It's rare. It's rare for us to say that. You know, sometimes we maybe disciplined our children uh, the wrong way or, or out of anger or maybe we didn't know all the facts and we never went back to our children and said, hey, I was wrong for what I did. Hopefully you did, but sometimes and many times we don't. So we need to come to the place that we admit that God's law is right and we are wrong. Three times here, 
He uses the word bahal, which means faint, weak, troubled, terrified. It's translated in the King James Version, the word vexed. Now, we don't use that word uh, today, vexed, but you see that word in verse 2 of chapter 6. Uh, So he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, in verse 2, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled or vexed. You know, in in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 10, he uses that word. But in the 17th century, the word vex was a much stronger word than it is today. The translators of the Greek Old Testament used uh, terasso, uh, which is the word used in the Greek of John chapter 12, verse 27, that says, now is my soul troubled. So here's David. He knows that he deserves far more than what he was enduring. And so David begs for mercy, and he asks God to send help speedily. His grief is not only personal, it's also physical. You understand that? When you go through times of grief, it's not just personal, it is physical. It affects you physically. And, and so notice here with, with David, uh, he, he, his, he's feeling like he has no strength left. The Bible says here when he describes himself uh, that his bones are troubled. Uh, that phrase was used symbolically to represent uh, a person's whole body. So he's saying physically, I'm not able to do what I would normally do. He feels physically spent and weak because of the circumstances, because of the grief that he's going through. And he was troubled not only physically and not only personally, but he was also troubled emotionally. Think of what he's going through. If this was the case of his son Absalom, what that was doing in his mind, what he was thinking about. This is my flesh and blood that that me and my wife gave birth to. And and he's wanting to kill me. My own flesh and blood wants to uh, wipe me off the face of the earth. And, you know, this is his son who who he he probably played with on the floor in the house, the the son, the little baby that he held in his arms one day, the son that he he taught things as he was growing up, and now that son has rebelled against him and turned against him. So that's messing with him emotionally. Charles Spurgeon wrote and said, soul trouble is the very soul of trouble. It matters not that the bones shake if the soul be firm. But he said, when the soul itself is sore vexed or troubled, this is agony indeed. Because emotional troubles, it causes our mind uh, to be uneasy. So we have trouble concentrating on things and thinking about things and sleeping. And you know when you're troubled about something and it's weighing on your heart and your mind, it just gets to racing. We talked about that before. And it just gets to going and and the gears are moving there and and you lay down to go to sleep and it's still going. And you're thinking all kinds of things and you're, you're being affected emotionally. Emotional trouble causes our mind to be uneasy so we have all those problems. And so a troubled mind results in being uneasy and upset about life. So the painful question comes comes from David uh, there in verse 3 where he said, my soul is greatly troubled, my emotions, I'm, I'm internally I'm, I'm greatly troubled. But then he says, but you, O Lord, how long? Now when you read through the Psalms, you're going to see that over and over and over. At least 16 times in the Psalms, 
you're going to see that question, how long? Sometimes the hardest part of our suffering is not knowing. Not knowing why, not knowing when, when is this going to end? Uh, you know, why God doesn't intervene on our behalf when we pray? When will the suffering end? When will our situation change? Uh, Lord, why aren't you doing something? And the answer to that question is, for David and for us, if, we're, if it's because he's disciplining us, is, is he's saying to us, I'm going to discipline you until you learn the lesson that I want you to learn and until you're equipped for the work that I want you to do. According to Hebrews chapter 12, when God disciplines us, here's what we can do. We can despise it. We can resist it. We can collapse under it. We can give up and quit. We can accept it or we can submit. And what God is seeking for us to do is submission. He's seeking for us to submit to him. And so that's the first thing we see here that he gives us in his steps is that you see the pain of the discipline that he's going through. In verse 4 through verse 5, we see the futility of death. Notice verse 4 as we continue on. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for thy sake of your steadfast, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? And so David acknowledges that his pain is so great and his grief is too deep for him to handle it alone. That's one of the steps that we need to make sure we learn when we're going through any kind of grief. You cannot go through it alone. You need some confidants. You need some people that are surrounding you that can encourage you, that you can pour out to and not get any kind of, sometimes not even get any feedback. You just need to share with them. You just need to vent. You need a place to just vent it. Uh, you're not looking for a response from them. You're not looking for them to say anything back. You just need to get it out so it's not bottling up in there uh, and, and weighing you down so much. But here's David. He acknowledges it's too great for me. My grief is too deep for me to handle it alone. Lord, I need you. So understand, you not only need others, and that's why he says that we're to be there for others and to support others and encourage others, but most importantly, you need God. And you need to make sure that you're turning to God in your grief. And so he asks God to turn from punishment to deliverance. Not based on what he has done, but on God's covenant with him. And so David recognized that God chose to love us of his own free will, not because of anything that we had done to deserve his grace. And so uh, that's why he said... Uh, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Not for my steadfast love, not for my righteousness, not for anything I have done, but God, for your steadfast love. And, and so he recognized there that, that God chooses to love us of his own free will. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 through verse 8 says this, He's talking about the nation of Israel, and he says why, uh, why he chose them. He said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on and chose you, for you were the fewest 
of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And so understand that God's mercy is rooted in the covenant that he made with his people that he would be their God and they would be his chosen people. Understand this about us as New Testament believers. God chose us. He chose us and loved us. Isn't that what John 3.16 tells us? For God so loved the world. It doesn't say first about me. It says first about God. It doesn't say, well, I, I sought after God or I love God and because I love God, he sent his only begotten son. No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so his mercy is rooted for us in his love for us and, and to extend his favor to us of his own free will, not because of anything that we have done or because of anything we deserve. His love is based on his decision, not our good works. And so understand this, nothing we do causes us, or causes God, I should say, nothing that we do causes God to love us more than he already does. Do you realize that? That is a profound truth that I learned many years ago in my own heart, that there is nothing that I can do to cause God to love me any more than he already has. He's already loved me with the greatest love he could ever love me with, and that was when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I'd encourage you to write that down and to remember that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And so David, he felt that God at this point under the pressure, and we tend to do the same thing, he felt under the pressure of what he's going through that God has turned his back on him, that God's deserted him. And so he asked God to return. And then he begins to reason with him. You know, every Jew knew that the Lord was merciful and gracious. And so David asked God to show that mercy to him and to spare his life. Furthermore, David goes on to say, what would the Lord gain by allowing me to die? Because notice what he says there in verse 5. He said, and for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? So when, when you look at what he's talking about there, uh, he's saying, what good is it going to be for me to die? Now, David's pleading here with him about his life. Now, you remember King Hezekiah in the Old Testament, he prayed that same kind of prayer himself before God. God gave him more time. Well, that's what David's praying for here. Now, that word Sheol that you read there in verse 5 is a word that can mean the grave or, or the realm of the dead. Here, that's what it means, the realm uh, of the dead. Not, not in, it just means the, the umbrella term there of the realm of the dead. In Old Testament times, people didn't have the clear revelation uh, of the afterlife that was brought through Jesus Christ, uh, although there were glimpses of what God had in store for his people. So uh, David's saying, a body in the grave can't praise you, Lord. A body in the grave can't serve you, God. And David wasn't certain what his spirit could do for the Lord in Sheol. So he concludes, Lord, I think it would be wiser for you to deliver me and let me live because I will praise you. If I die, I can't do that. David still had work to do in his own life. And so this is only a part of the process 
it's not the end. Notice the third step that happens here, the strain of despair. You know, when you're going through grief, and you read what David says here, you can see, yeah, there comes that stage where it just all breaks loose, and the floodgates open, and you just weep, and you weep, and you weep, and you weep. It's almost uncontrollable. Notice again, verse 5, down through verse 7. For in death there is no remembrance of you, in Sheol who will give you praise. Verse 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So when you go back and you put this psalm in the context of where it's at, if you'll remember back in chapter 3, Psalm chapter 3, that was a morning psalm. We studied chapter 4 last week, that was an evening psalm. We skipped chapter 5 because I've already preached through that previously, but that is also a morning psalm. When you come to chapter 6, now we're back to an evening psalm. And you know that many times that's when everything breaks for us at night. Uh, when, when, we, when we're uh, all alone, we, we've been just, everything's been whirling in our minds. We've been under the pressure of the grief emotionally, physically, personally, and now the floodgates burst open. So whereas in the previous Psalms, what did God do for David? He gave him sleep. He gave him peace. Here, we find him sleepless because of fear and pain. He says, I'm just worn out. I'm worn out from groaning. I'm worn out from tossing. I'm worn out from turning. And he spent a good deal of time weeping. He says, I soaked my bed. I drenched my couch. You know, that's not just a little tears. That's not just a little trickle going down the side of your face. This is gully washer weeping before the Lord. And he says, sleeping has been replaced by suffering. You know, sleep is important for us in the healing process. You know, when you don't get the sleep you need, you're not where you need to be physically to face the suffering you're going through, to face the grief that you're going through. And, and so it's like a vicious cycle. You can't sleep because it's all on your mind, but you need sleep to help you to get it off your mind. And so sleep is important for healing. So David's lack of sleep is only making the condition worse. It's exacerbating things. David's weakened condition is revealed by the dullness of his eyes. I mean, he is crying so much, his eyes are hurting. You ever cried like that before? That it feels like your eyes are about to pop out their socket because you've just been crying and crying and crying and crying? I've been there. You know, it's remarkable how much physicians can discover about our physical condition by looking into our eyes. Here's David. His grief continues day after day, night after night. And it doesn't go away because his circumstances hadn't changed. Bill Crowder wrote also, the burden of grief may be invisible, 
but it's exceedingly heavy. It saps the energy from a person, causing weariness that is draining. You know, tears are a natural reaction to grief, and, and, and they do help to, 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 to release uh, there. They're a physical release, even, of the emotional pain uh, that we feel. Sometimes we just need a good cry. We just need to get it out. And because it just relieves that emotional turmoil that you're feeling inside. You know, often a person's grief is expressed when they're all alone, and so other people don't know the extent of their personal grief. Bill Crowder went on to write, he says, it's in the darkness, in the darkness, after others have gone their way, that the private expressions of grief take form. You ever seen that? I mean, when somebody loses a loved one, as long as there's the visitation, you got lots of people around, you got the funeral service, there's lots of people around, you go back home or you go to the church and you have a meal together and there's lots of people around. But when you go back home and everybody's going back to their homes, that's when it hits. And you look around and you see the signs of that loved one who's gone on. And it just begins to weigh on your heart and on your mind more and more. Understand this, nobody can feel the same pain that you feel because they haven't been through the same situation that you've been through. Doesn't matter what it is. They may have been through a death experience before, but it's not like your death experience. Because you had a, a, an individual personal relationship with the person who passed away that that person didn't have. And maybe they didn't have that kind of relationship with the person that they experienced grief with uh, when, when they passed away. You know, we used to hear the song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows my sorrow, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Proverbs 14.10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness. So two people can each lose a parent, but their feelings of grief can be different because of the relationship that they had with their parents. Two people can experience rejection, but their feelings can be different because one person has always been rejected while the other person rarely experienced rejection. Everybody's life experience is different than somebody else's. And so go down to verse 7 again. He says, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So as a result of his crying, his eyes are worn out, and, and he's been left physically weak without strength to help himself. You know, there's other times we read in the Scripture that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He, because he, he, as he was going through uh, the similar experiences that he was going through, God had brought him to a place where he knew he needed to keep his focus on the Lord. It was the Lord who would strengthen him, and, and that's how he strengthened himself, by depending and trusting on the Lord. But here in this occasion, he's weak, and, and because of this continual crying, he's without strength to help himself. You know, grief is a deep sorrow or a great pain. It's our emotional reaction to, to personal disappointment, to deep hurt, to the death of a loved one, which all of those things and many more other things can leave us exhausted. And so here's David's enemies that have crushed his spirit. I mean, think about it. This is not only his son. These are people he was friends with, people he thought he could trust. And they've decided 
they're going to follow his son Absalom. David's enemies have crushed his spirit. And he's not able to do anything to help himself. If we were to describe David's situation, we'd say he's, he's an emotional basket case. Any deliverance won't be a result of his efforts. He doesn't have the strength to do it. You know, sickness and pain can make us either bitter or better. And the difference is this, one word, faith. Not you building up faith in yourself, but your trust in the Lord. So if we turn to God and we pray and we remember his promises, we read his word, and we trust him, you'll find, as the Bible says, grace that is sufficient for your needs, for all of your needs. The Lord may not do what we ask when we want it done, but he will do what needs to be done, and he will help us to glorify his name. So the question we should ask isn't, when will I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? And once I get through this, what do you want me to do, Lord? Notice this is our fourth point as we come to verse 8 through verse 10, that now David finally arrives at the place of the joy of deliverance, the joy of deliverance. Notice verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Whoa, what a 180 change. He's been weeping, uh, pouring out his tears, uh, flooding his bed with his tears, drenching his couch with his weeping. And, and now he comes to verse 8 and says, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, or, or you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. He says, All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So when you come to these verses here in verse 8 down through verse 10, there's this sudden surprising change from suffering now to joy, an experience recorded even in other psalms over and over and over. Because understand, it doesn't matter whether this change occurred later, afterwards, much time after he, he writes this psalm, the beginning part here, or, or whether it happens immediately after he prays. But he begins to feel this healing in his body. He begins to feel a peace in his heart and his mind. Maybe the word comes to him that the enemies retreated or better yet, had been defeated and he knew God had heard his cries, or maybe his circumstances hadn't changed at all. But David has come to the place to realize uh, that he feels God's witness in his heart that no matter what happens, all is well. It is well with my soul. What a wonderful song that is to remember in times like this. The Lord, he says, the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my requests. And the Lord has accepted my prayer. Whatever happened, we don't know. 
Was it something physically that changed the circumstances? And he sees, yes, the Lord is answering. The Lord is delivering. He, he's overthrowing the enemies who are coming against me. Or maybe he just comes to the place because the circumstances haven't changed that he's cried his heart out before the Lord and he realizes, Lord, it's in your hands. I take all I have and to your cross I bring it. I give it to you. I surrender it to you. David felt that witness one way or the other in his heart because of what God had done. And he uses this experience to glorify the Lord as he witnessed to his enemies. What does he say to his enemies? He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Go on. You, you, you're not going to win. It's over. The Lord has heard my prayers. He is overthrowing you. Uh, it's all over. Uh, he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, because the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. How this message was conveyed to, to them, we don't know, in the song here that he's singing. But David was quick to honor the Lord for what had happened. His enemies had thought, well, David, he's done for. They thought he's over there crying on his bed. He's just a little crybaby over there. He's no problem for us anymore. We're greater than David. Oh, you remember they used to say about David that he slew his ten thousands. Not David anymore. He's over there crying on his bed. And they thought, oh, it's all over. We beat David. We've defeated David. And David rises up from the ashes almost there. He says, you need to go. His enemies said David was done for. But the failure of their prediction, he says, verse 10, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. That indicates to me, because of the words there that are given and the tense of the words, that it's not yet something that has happened. It's something that will happen in the future. All my enemies shall be or will be ashamed. It hasn't happened yet, but they will be shamed. They will be greatly troubled. They will turn back. They will be put to shame in a moment. It's coming. God has heard my prayer. And so his enemies had said he's done for. But David said, no, here's what's going to happen. God is my victory. So what should we do when we're faced with grief that overwhelms us? When you go back to 1, verse 1, you need to ask, God's, ask for God's mercy when you're hurting or suffering. When you look at verse 3, you need to continue to wait for God to act on your behalf. It may take a while, and it may not happen until you get to glory and beyond. But you need to wait on the Lord and let him do his thing in his time, in his way. In verse 6 through verse 7, we need to recognize that grief is a natural part uh, that grief is a natural part of grief and, and sorrow and weeping is, crying is. We need to know also, as verse 9 tells us, that God hears our prayers and acts on them. He loves you and he cares for you and he knows what you're going through. 
You may feel like under the pressure of everything and under the grief that you're going through that nobody knows the troubles I've had. But God does. In the end, as we read in verse 10, God will receive the glory for his deliverance. And so as you go through it, and as you come out on the other side of it, even before it is completed in your life, give God the glory for who he is and for what he's doing and for what he's going to do in your heart, in your life. Grief is hard to overcome. We need help in our grief. And the source for the help in your grief is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we could peer for just a few moments into the heart of David who writes this psalm for us to remind us, Lord, that this is such a universal psalm for so many of us because so many of us experience grief and heartache and discouragement. And, and Lord, many of us have come to the place in our hearts and in our lives where we're just spent. We're emotionally a basket case. We, we feel like uh, so much weight upon us. We maybe even are at the place of David where, where we're just crying our heart out before you. And it seems like, Lord, how long? How long do I have to go through this? And yet, you loved us in spite of ourselves not because of ourselves. You loved us and you sent your son Jesus to down a cross for our sins so we could have eternal life. You loved us that you sent him so that we could have peace in the midst of our storms. And Lord, we may have to go through just a good old crying to get things out. To, to have that emotional and spiritual and soulful release in our hearts. To cry out to you. To say, God, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. That's where David was. And so, Father, I pray that that's where we would be tonight. Lord, that we would cry out to you, I need you now more than I ever needed you before. Lord, if there's someone who's watching or listening or here tonight who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, they need you more than ever before. And so, Father, I pray they'll call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. And so, Father, I pray tonight that if there's someone who's lost uh, who's heard this message tonight and they prayed something like that in their hearts, Lord, may you begin to give them a peace that passes all understanding to know that you are in control, you are working things out for your glory and for their good. And Father, I pray that you will help them to see that no matter what happens with the circumstances, whether you relieve the circumstances or they have to continue going through the circumstances for a season, Father, to know that you're there and they can lean upon you, and they can trust in you, and you can help them through those days. So, Father, be with us. Lord, if we're here tonight and we're a believer, and we've been going through some trying times, Lord, help us to read the Psalms. 
and to study the Psalms and to understand these truths that what you wanted David to do was to come to the place of submission. And that's what you're wanting for us as believers to do tonight. To come to the place of submission, to stop trying to fix the problem ourselves, to stop thinking that we can just cram it down in our heart and in our mind and, and, and it'll go away because it won't. And Father, I pray that you'll begin to bring healing to some people in their hearts as they begin to take these steps to cry out to you, to begin to trust you, to place their faith and their hope in you. And may you walk with them and talk with them along life's narrow way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation, number 308. As the Lord's laid on your heart, would you come tonight? Would you stand as we sing number 308? Pass me not over. I hope that message was helpful for you tonight, and I encourage you to go back and read that psalm again and study through it even some more. Uh, but we are glad to have you tonight. Come back and join us again uh, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll be uh, back in the book of Micah, so uh, join us there if you're online, uh, 6 o'clock Wednesday night. But thank you for being with us tonight. want to say uh, have a safe week, uh, and we'll see you this Wednesday.